This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Master of the World by Jules Verne. Chapter 6 The First Letter. After leaving Mr. Ward, I returned to my home in Long Street. There I had plenty of time to consider this strange case uninterrupted by either wife or children. My household consisted solely of an ancient servant, who, having been formerly in the service of my mother, had now continued for fifteen years in mine. Two months before I had obtained a leave of absence. It had still two weeks to run, unless indeed some unforeseen circumstance interrupted it some mission which could not be delayed. This leave, as I have shown, had already been interrupted for four days by my exploration of the Great Erie. And now was it not my duty to abandon my vacation, and endeavour to throw light upon the remarkable events of which the road to Milwaukee and the shore of New England had been in turn the scene? I would have given much to solve the twin mysteries, but how was it possible to follow the track of this automobile, or this boat? Seated in my easy-chair after breakfast, with my pipe lighted, I opened my newspaper. To what should I turn? Politics interested me but little, with its eternal strife between the Republicans and the Democrats. Neither did I care for the news of society, nor for the sporting page. You will not be surprised, then, that my first idea was to see if there was any news from North Carolina about the Great Erie. There was little hope of this, however, for Mr. Smith had promised to telegraph me at once if anything occurred. I felt quite sure that the mayor of Morganton was as eager for information, and as watchful as could have been myself. The paper told me nothing new. It dropped idly from my hand, and I remained deep in thought. What most frequently recurred to me was the suggestion of Mr. Ward that perhaps the automobile and the boat which had attracted our attention were in reality one and the same. Very probably, at least, the two machines had been built by the same hand, and beyond doubt these were similar engines which generated this remarkable speed, more than doubling the previous records of earth and sea. The same inventor, repeated I. Evidently this hypothesis had strong grounds. The fact that the two machines had not yet appeared at the same time added weight to the idea. I murmured to myself, After the mystery of Great Erie comes that of Milwaukee and Boston. Will this new problem be as difficult to solve as was the other? I noted idly that this new affair had a general resemblance to the other, since both menaced the security of the general public. To be sure, only the inhabitants of the Blue Ridge region had been in danger from an eruption or possible earthquake at Great Erie, while now, on every road of the United States, or along every league of its coasts and harbors, every inhabitant was in danger from this vehicle or this boat, with its sudden appearance and insane speed. I found that, as was to be expected, the newspapers not only suggested, but enlarged upon the dangers of the case timid people everywhere were much alarmed. My old servant, naturally credulous and superstitious, was particularly upset. That same day after dinner, as she was clearing away the things, she stopped before me, 
a water-bottle in one hand, the serviette in the other, and asked anxiously, "'Is there no news, sir?' "'None,' I answered, knowing well to what she referred. "'The automobile has not come back?' "'No.' "'Nor the boat?' "'Nor the boat. There is no news even in the best-informed papers.' "'But your secret police information?' "'We are no wiser.' "'Then, sir, if you please, of what use are the police?' "'It is a question which has fazed me more than once.' "'Now you see what will happen,' continued the old housekeeper, complainingly. "'Some fine morning he will come without warning, this terrible chauffeur, and rush down our street here and kill us all.' "'Good!' When that happens, there will be some chance of catching him. He will never be arrested, sir. Why not? Because he is the devil himself, and you can't arrest the devil. Decidedly, thought I, the devil has many uses, and if he did not exist we would have to invent him, to give people some way of explaining the inexplicable. It was he who lit the flames of the Great Erie. It was he who smashed the record in the Wisconsin race. It is he who is scurrying along the shores of Connecticut and Massachusetts. But putting to one side this evil spirit who is so necessary, for the convenience of the ignorant, there was no doubt that we were facing a most bewildering problem. Had both of these machines disappeared forever? They had passed like a meteor, like a star shooting through space, and in a hundred years the adventure would become a legend much to the taste of the gossips of the next century. For several days the newspapers of America and even those of Europe continued to discuss these events. Editorials crowded upon editorials. Rumors were added to rumors. Storytellers of every kind crowded to the front. The public of two continents was interested. In some parts of Europe there was even jealousy that America should have been chosen as the field of such an experience. If these marvellous inventors were American, then their country, their army and navy, would have a great advantage over others. The United States might acquire an incontestable superiority. Under the date of the 10th of June, a New York paper published a carefully studied article on this phase of the subject, comparing the speed of the swiftest known vessels with the smallest minimum of speed which could possibly be assigned to the new boat. The article demonstrated that if the United States secured this secret, Europe would be but three days away from her, while she would still be five days from Europe. If our own police had searched diligently to discover the mystery of the Great Erie, the secret service of every country in the world was now interested in these new problems. Mr. Ward referred to the matter each time I saw him. Our chat would begin by his rallying me about my ill success in Carolina, and I would respond by reminding him that success there was only a question of expense. "'Never mind, my good Strock,' said he. "'There will come a chance for our clever inspector to regain his laurels. Take now this affair of the automobile and the boat. If you could clear that up in advance of all the detectives of the world, what an honour it would be to our department!' What glory for you! It certainly would, Mr. Ward, and if you put the matter in my charge— Who knows, Strock? Let us wait a while. Let us wait. Matters stood thus when, 
On the morning of June 15th, my old servant brought me a letter from the letter-carrier, a registered letter for which I had to sign. I looked at the address. I did not know the handwriting. The postmark, dating from two days before, was stamped at the post-office of Morganton. Morganton! Here at last was, no doubt, news from Mr. Elias Smith. "'Yes!' exclaimed I, speaking to my old servant for lack of another. "'It must be from Mr. Smith at last. I know no one else in Morganton, and if he writes, he has news.' "'Morganton,' said the old woman, "'isn't that the place where the demons set fire to their mountain?' "'Exactly. Oh, sir, I hope you don't mean to go back there.' because you will end by being burned up in that furnace of the Great Erie, and I wouldn't want you buried that way, sir. Cheer up, and let us see if it is not better news than that. The envelope was sealed with red sealing-wax, and stamped with a sort of coat of arms, surmounted with three stars. The paper was thick and very strong. I broke the envelope, and drew out the letter. It was a single sheet, folded in four, and written on one side only. My first glance was for the signature. There was no signature. Nothing but three initials at the end of the last line. "'The letter is not from the mayor of Morganton,' said I. "'Then from whom?' asked the old servant, doubly curious in her quality as a woman and as an old gossip. Looking again at the three initials of the signature, I said, "'I know no one for whom these letters would stand.' neither at Morganton nor elsewhere. The handwriting was bold, both upstrokes and downstrokes very sharp, about twenty lines in all. Here is the letter, of which I, with good reason, retained an exact copy. It was dated, to my extreme stupefaction, from that mysterious Great Erie. Great Erie, Blue Ridge Mountains, to Mr. Strock, North Carolina, June 13th. Chief Inspector of Police, 34 Long Street, Washington, D.C. Sir, you were charged with the mission of penetrating the Great Erie. You came on April the 28th, accompanied by the Mayor of Morganton and two guides. You mounted to the foot of the wall, and you encircled it, finding it too high and steep to climb. You sought a breach, and you found none. Know this, none enter the Great Erie, or if one enters, he never returns. Do not try again, for the second attempt will not result as did the first, but will have grave consequences for you. Heed this warning, or evil fortune will come to you. M. O. W. End of chapter.